Welcome to the sermon podcast for Timberlake Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our mission is to reach, feed, and release people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. To learn more, visit TimberlakeChurch.org. Now get ready for today's message, which we hope will be inspiring as well as challenging. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dean, very much. Dean Knuckles is our church council chairperson. I'm grateful for his uh, leadership this morning. Also, I want you to know, friends, on Wednesday this week, Michaela Jacobs, our student ministry director, gave a message to our youth as they gathered, as they often do on Wednesdays, and a new young man, a 13-year-old boy, accepted Christ in this ministry. And we praise God for that and for the ministry that you have invested in um, because children are coming to faith in Jesus. And so I wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that and celebrate that, and hopefully you'll hear more details in in the weeks to come about that. Um, But we praise God for that, and I thank you. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the fourth week of our Advent series. It's called The Gift of Forgiveness. What a great time of year to be talking about these things because Christmas is the time we remember that we are forgiven and that we are called to forgive others. And I'm incredibly thankful for these conversations that have been inspired by our Sunday worship. I love that the sermon extends to your kitchen table and to your phone calls and to the letters that you write and into your workplace where you're talking about these things. It seems to me that this conversation has kind of struck a nerve And I think it's because all of us have an awareness of our need for forgiveness. All of us have an awareness of our need to forgive others. And this is something that is real. We need real good news, and we are real people. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is one of the marks of our age, I believe, a desire for authenticity. Have you noticed that? Especially when people come to church. Right? Gone are the days when we can wow people with something slick and fashionable, and people will just eat it up like, oh, isn't that wonderful? People want something real. People want something real. Uh, We have become suspicious of things that are sanitized or polished or overly produced. Uh, Look at reality TV, right? It's all the rage over the last couple of decades. People want something real. Uh, Look at the popularity of politicians who seem to say whatever they are thinking, right? 50 years ago, that would have never been accepted. These days, people cheer like, yes, he says exactly what I was thinking, right? Um, how about the, uh, the social media app, Be Real? Anybody familiar with Be Real? No one? Oh, like six of you. Okay. So I'll explain it. My kids have this, so this is how I understand. Um, you, uh, you download the app on your phone, and then it sends you a notification once a day, and you have two minutes to take a photo, a selfie, and also a picture of the people around you. And the concept is it's spontaneous, it's in the moment, and you have to capture something real, something authentic. So you don't have time to, like, do your hair, you know, and put on a nice outfit. You just, you just capture yourself however you are in real life. It's called Be Real. And I think I think it's popular because people want authenticity. People want something that is real, and especially at Christmas, don't we? We want a real experience of God at Christmas. Um, Give us a real Christmas with real good news for real people. Please tell me there is something more to all of this than just eggnog and presents and a few days off work. 
Isn't there something more to Christmas than that? I think this is why some of the most popular Christmas movies, especially among adults, are the realist Christmas movies. Think about It's a Wonderful Life. What is It's a Wonderful Life about? It's about hope in the face of financial hardship, hope in the face of mental illness, right? It's real. That's as real as it gets. How about uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? That is a hilarious movie. Why? Because everyone knows what it's like to have a jerk for a boss, right? Especially Pastor Jesse. <laughs> everyone knows what it's like to have Uncle Lewis burn down your Christmas tree. Everyone knows what it's like to have that crazy cousin Eddie come pay you a visit and you weren't expecting him. You surprised, Clark? Eddie, if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> oh, so in the spirit of authenticity, can we be real? Let's be real today. And as we think about forgiveness and peace, let's be real and acknowledge we lack forgiveness and we lack peace. There is not peace on earth, right? We, we pray for it. We sing the Christmas carols and long for it. We hear the prophets declare it, but we don't see it. We lack peace on earth. There is war in Ukraine. There is violence against Israel. There is political conflict in our own country. There is unrest in some of our homes. There is unrest in some of our families. And I don't just mean out there. I mean like right here. Some of us are experiencing this right here, right now. I remember one Christmas when I was young, my family was making the usual trek from southern Ohio to Indiana to visit our relatives in Indiana, and we stopped for dinner, my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and me, at some Midwest fast food place. It was probably either Rack's Roast Beef or White Castle. And my brother and I were bickering, and we were fighting, and we were probably restless from a long drive. It was many hours to drive from home to the grandparents' house. So there we are, sitting in public at, at a restaurant, at a table, and under the table, my brother and I are kicking each other in the shins. And my mom, God bless the moms at Christmas, right? Because my mom is like, oh, my goodness, can you boys please, you know, it's Christmas just, just for five minutes. Can you please treat each other with kindness and respect? We're in public, for goodness sake. And we said, well, you know, what are we supposed to do, mom? And she says, well, I don't know. You could try saying to each other, Merry Christmas. Or try saying to each other, how was your day today? And so without missing a beat, we adopted her advice, and we said, Merry Christmas. Wham! How was your day today? <laughs> over and over and over again. Peace sounds so wonderful, and yet it seems to us unrealistic. So thank the Lord that the Christmas story is real. In this day and time when so many things are inauthentic, fake news and car warranty, telephone scams, we can open the Bible and we can read a story that is as real as it gets. A teenage girl and a Jewish carpenter have a baby and they have to walk a long way from Galilee to Bethlehem and there they find no welcome in the inn and so they're in an animal stable and they lay that child in a feed trough surrounded by animals and all the sights and the sounds and the smells that animals make. There is an earthiness to the story. 
It is tangible. It is rustic. It is real. Now, it happened 2,000 years ago, but let me suggest to you, it could have happened yesterday. God breaking into the world, leaving the glory of heaven and entering into the messiness of our lives. This is the good news of Christmas, my friends. And as we think about the meaning of this story for our lives, I want to invite you to hear the words of the prophet again, one of the prophets who predicted the coming of the Savior. I want you to listen for the way these words articulate the deep longing in our hearts, the deep longing that we have for peace, the deep longing that we have for reconciliation with God and with the people who we love, the deep longing for someone to come and make things right. Oh, God, would you come down, please, and set things right in this world? Because things are not right right now, oh, God. There's hurt, there's pain, there's conflict, there's violence. We need your help. So this is the promise, Isaiah 11.1. 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. In the Bible, lineage matters a lot. And you see from time to time in the Bible, various chapters have genealogies. And these are the, some of the things that you tend to skip over when you're reading, and so do I. Like, oh, I don't know who begat who. I'm tired of reading that, right? But the genealogies matter, and who is the father or mother of whom matters. And it matters for a couple reasons. One, because God is a God to all generations, and the God who was Lord over our ancestors is the God who is Lord over you and over your children and your grandchildren. And even though people change and generations change, God does not change. Even though we are finite and limited, God is infinite and God is unlimited. And so this is the God from way back who is coming now into the world. And Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would come like a shoot from a stump. You know what a shoot is? You ever seen a little green growth poking up out of the earth in your garden? That is what a shoot is. And where does the shoot come from? A stump. Well, what do you know about a stump? It's dead, right? It's cut off. Imagine a tree stump. The tree's no longer there. It's been cut off. What does that tell you? It tells you that the one who is causing the new life to grow is causing it to come from something old and something dead. And there's one who can do that, the Almighty God. This is something God is doing. The shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse? Jesse is the father of King David. This is important because in the Israelite understanding, David was a good king and a righteous king, and he was a man after God's own heart. And so it's from his royal line, his royal lineage, that the Messiah will come. And so Joseph is the great, 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 so many greats grandson meaning that Jesus, son of Joseph, grandson of David, son of Jesse, Jesus is royalty, right? Jesus comes from the lineage of David. Now, Jesus is a different kind of king because insofar as David fell short and murdered his brother and committed adultery against his wife, Jesus is perfect. He will finally fulfill the righteousness that even David was unable to fulfill. Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. This is the same spirit who hovered over the waters of creation, the same spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, the same spirit that gives life to your mortal bodies also. This spirit will anoint the Messiah for wisdom 
and understanding and counsel and might. I wonder if you know the story in Luke of when Jesus gave his first sermon and he stood up and he read the scroll from the place where it says in Isaiah and Jesus declared, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. In other words, these words that the, spirit prophes- uh, the, uh, the prophet prophesied are now coming true in your hearing. And he's saying, I'm it. I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who has come to fulfill the promises of old of God. This is God's self-revelation in Christ. Verse 3, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The mark of the ministry of the Messiah will be righteousness and justice and faithfulness. That which God's people have failed to do, namely to restore God's creation to its former glory, the Messiah will be able to accomplish. Jesus will restore all things rightly. You understand what we say we mean righteousness? Uh, We mean that everything is in right order, in right relationship to one another, in right relationship in particular to our Creator. And Israel and the church are unrighteous, and Jesus is righteous. And He is the one who comes to make us righteous, and He's going to be the one to make everything right. So when you lay down at night and you say, Oh, Lord, and, and you lament the problems of this world, This is the verse you want to point to and say, Lord, come down and set things right. Please come. And this is the promise, that evil will be struck down and goodness will be lifted up. This is what Jesus is doing. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. Now, this is what it's going to look like. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf, and the lion, and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. The hallmark of the kingdom which is to come is peace, right? This is the primary characteristic of the kingdom according to Isaiah's vision. There will be harmony. There will be reconciliation. There will be Peace. Now, this is what has been called paradise restored, right? So the perfection of the Garden of Eden, which God made, which humans tarnished, will be restored such that wolves and lambs will be able to lie down together. And cows and bears will be able to lie down together. And lions will eat straw. What does that tell you? Someone said on Thursday, veganism. No, um, not exactly. Um, What it means is nothing will have to die in order to sustain and nourish God's creation. You see? So uh, if this is a startling picture to you, and if you say, hmm, this is illogical and it's hard to imagine, then you're getting it. Because Isaiah is putting forward a vision that is startling starkly in contrast to what we see most days in our lives and in the world. He's saying God is doing something new, 
And it's so radical and so different that you have to use your imagination, your scriptural, prophetic imagination, to be able to see it. In God's heaven, there will be no violence and no war. In God's heaven, there will be no death and no sin and no brokenness and no hurt and no conflict. All will be peace. All will be peace. And then the last verse in this section. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Friends, this is what the Messiah is doing, bringing peace into the most unlikely places. Now, we know that brokenness is real. No one has to tell us that. And some of us have a hard time appreciating and even believing the words of a prophet like Isaiah because the pain of the reality of our lives seems so much more real than this vision, which seems to us far-fetched and unrealistic. But the Scriptures testify to the truth, friends, and the prophets invite us in. Again, you have to use your imagination. You have to use your faithful, God-given, holy imagination to see the world the way God sees the world. See, this is a description from Isaiah of how God sees things, and this is what God is doing. And so I need you to understand, if Jesus can make a wolf and a lamb get along, then he can make you and your enemy get along. If Jesus can reconcile two enemies in the animal kingdom, Jesus can reconcile you to that person from whom you are estranged. There's someone in your life, maybe more than one person, with whom you have had hurt, with whom you have had conflict, who when you see them, you get a pit in your stomach, who when you see them in public, you may pretend like you don't see them so that you don't have to interact with them, who you have not talked to perhaps in a long time, or who you get to talk to every day, and every day it causes you grief. There is a need for forgiveness, friends. There is a need for forgiveness. And I know the pushback on this because I'm human just like you. And the pushback is this, Pastor, that's all well and good, but you don't understand how badly they hurt me. You don't, un- you don't appreciate how-, how deep the cut was emotionally. And you know what? You're right. I have no idea. I'm just a human being. I cannot possibly appreciate the depth of all of your hurt and all of your suffering. But I want you to understand there is one who can, and there is one who does, and his name is Jesus Christ the Lord. And not only does he understand, but he can help you fix it. He can bring healing into your life. That's why he comes on Christmas, to restore, to restore God's creation, to restore you to relationship with the Father who loves you and with the people with whom you have conflict in your life. But I want you to see, friends, there's a connection between forgiveness and peace. This passage in Isaiah is about peace, but when you practice forgiveness, whether you give it or receive it, you tap into this peace. Forgiveness is the habit of faithful followers of Jesus, and peace is the gift of the Spirit. Now, how do we know that? Well, think about a time when you carried the weight of hurt or conflict, And then you either offered or received forgiveness from someone in your life. 
and remember the feeling of that weight being lifted off of you. You have that experience? That's the peace of Christ, friends. Jesus replaces your burden with his peace. And so one of the ways to tap into that peace is to forgive, to be quick to forgive, and also to ask for forgiveness where you have hurt someone else. Now, we also know the opposite is true, right? When we withhold forgiveness, when forgiveness is withheld from us, we lack peace, don't we? We know that. We feel captive to that resentment. And so forgiveness and peace go together. And I'm inviting you this week to practice one small but extraordinary act of forgiveness in the way of peace, to go and visit that person who hurt you and to tell them about how you feel, or to call that person on the phone and talk to them, or to send them a letter in the mail to reach out to them. If you need to, you can tell them it was my idea. If these sermons, friends, as we're talking about forgiveness, if they stir your heart, I need you to understand that's not just a lucky guess by the preachers, okay? That's the movement of the Holy Spirit. When the preacher opens the Word of God and you feel something burning inside of you, that is the Spirit of God, okay? And I appreciate when you say to me, oh, pastor, how'd you know? Or, man, that was just exactly what I needed to hear today. Thank you for telling me that, but really you're telling the wrong person, okay? That's the Spirit of God. And so I'm asking you, I'm begging you, if your soul is stirred when we talk about forgiveness, don't ignore that. Don't ignore that. There is a peace that awaits you if you would lean into that instead of leaning away from it. I want to show you a picture. I love art. I love artistic renderings of the Scripture. This is an artistic rendering of Isaiah 11. It's from 1833 by an American artist named Edward Hicks. It's called The Peaceable Kingdom. Anybody ever seen it before or seen a version of it? Yeah, it's, it's fairly popular. Notice, uh, notice the uh, cow and the lion uh, there together. Um, notice bears and wolves and goats and lambs and even little children living together in harmony. That's in the foreground. Can you see what's going on in the background in the far left? You see white settlers and Native Americans together, living together in harmony, right? So it's not just about animals, is it? It's about people. It's about people. And the amazing thing about this biblical vision, and I don't just mean the painting. I mean the vision that the Scripture gives us. The amazing thing about this vision, friends, is that this is God's answer to our skepticism. So when we see war and violence and we say, ah, oh, this is probably never going to get better, and we see a painting like this, or we re read words like the ones from Isaiah, and we say, yeah, that sounds nice, but let's be real. This could never happen in real life. Here's the truth. This is the only enduring reality that there is, is the Word of God. No Word of God will ever fail. And what I'm trying to tell you today is, friends, this is more reliable than this. What you see around the world, yes, it's real to you and to me, but it's fleeting. It's only here temporarily. God is restoring his creation even now. And so if, if this kind of painting looks far-fetched to you, it's only because your eyes and my eyes have been clouded by sin. 
because we have a hard time seeing what God is doing. But this is what God is doing. And so I'm inviting you, friends, to open your eyes and to open the eyes of your heart and to look and to notice all the places in your life and around the world where God is doing restoration, where God is bringing harmony, where God is bringing His peace into the world. This is why the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, because in His grace, rather than abandoning us to figure this out for ourselves, Jesus comes. This one comes like a shoot out of the stump of Jesse, and the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him. Righteousness and faithfulness are his belt, and he is ushering into the world a new kind of kingdom, one where the wolf lives with the lamb, where the leopard lies down with the goat, where a little child is leading them, one where an infant can play near snakes, and no one will hurt or destroy on all of God's holy mountain. And the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Friends, this is why we pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come. Right? Because we know that the world is not right. And we know that the only one who can fix it is Jesus Christ the Lord. And so we pray earnestly, Lord, please come. Please come and heal me and heal my broken heart. Please come and heal my family and all the people who I love. Lord, please come and heal all of this world and all of your creation. Make things right again. This is why Advent matters. Are you, are you putting this together, friends? This is why we light the candles, right? This is why we put up the trees and, and hang the lights. Because every light and every candle and every carol is a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. We are begging you, Lord, come into the world. And this is not just a backward-looking time, friends. Yes, Christmas is great, and yes, it's real and historic, but we also look forward because Christ is coming back. Jesus is coming back, and he's not coming as a baby, my friends. He's coming as the king in glory, and he's going to put down evil, and he's going to lift up goodness. And I want you to be ready for that day. I want you to be ready for that day. I'm so proud of you for having a hard conversation with me, for not shying away from difficult subjects. I know this is hard. I know it's easy to become discouraged by the lack of peace in the world, the lack of peace in our lives. It's easy to become overwhelmed at just how much work there is for us to do, the work of peacemaking, the work of our souls. But remember... There is no more determinative reality. There is nothing more real in this world than the inbreaking kingdom of God. That is real. That is real. There will be reconciliation and justice and peace. Pray for eyes to see it and pray for the courage to point other people, see what God is doing. See what God is doing. Let God's people say amen.